Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirrabbilalamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallama tasliman kathiran ila yawmiddin amma ba'd. Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri wa ahlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. All praises belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and peace and salutations be upon the final messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Adidas brothers and sisters in Islam, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I thought after the break you'd be more energized. Let's try that again. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We will learn in the second hadith that if you are suitable with your teachers, your teachers will be suitable with you. But if you act dead in front of them, then you might not get much knowledge from them. Right? That's what our scholars used to say. That if you present yourself well in front of your teachers, then it gives them the inspiration to give you as well more from the knowledge that they have rather than sticking with uh, just the basics that you require, right? So, and this has been spoken uh, about by scholars across the centuries of Islam with regards to Islamic morals, manners, and etiquette. So, again, we spoke about the importance of process when seeking knowledge um, and ensuring that the knowledge turns into action. If your teacher greets you, find it in yourself to humble yourself and pay attention to that greeting and offer a response become a norm. In fact, ever since I remember Islamic lectures, the sheikh greets and everybody just looks and stares at him. I don't understand why. Um, let's take uh, the first hadith as promised. But before that, let's just recap very quickly. Um, before the break, we uh, had a little uh, break the ice session, which you sat down uh, with other people that you are not normally acquainted with and you uh, discussed with them uh, your homework last night which was running that gap analysis that was asked of you and from you and then we went on to introduce um, the sessions that will be taking place in this particular knowledge house over the course of uh, our four days together and then went into uh, our subject of study the 40 hadith of Imam al-Nawawi we discussed a little bit about knowledge and seeking knowledge um, and uh, some of the virtues of it and um, some of the etiquettes with regards to it and then we tapped into the life of Imam al-Nawawi or a little snapshot from his life and then we discussed uh, 67 points um, with regards to uh, or let me not say 67 um, but let me say we went into our we went into a discussion covering some points related to the history of the book that we will uh, learn from over the course of the next few days. So we have the first hadith, and as I said to you, there's no commentary from the Imam. All you see is al-hadith al-awwal, for those who have uh, the books in front of them, uh, or you have some notes, uh, or even a translation of the hadith, really, there's nothing else. The Imam just mentions hadith number one, the hadith is mentioned, and if you find a book which has a translation, you'll find the translation mentioned. There's no heading from the Imam, there's no commentary from the Imam, in Riyadh al-Salihin, at least we have the heading from the Imam. And uh, we said in that heading, we learned the fiqh of the Imam. There's certain implications that come about because of the language used by the Imam in the heading of the text. And this is something you should be aware of. Many a time we, re we read Riyadh al-Salihin, and we don't think that the Imam is actually telling us something in this heading. In terms of his own view. Like sometimes he could say, uh, the chapter related to the recommendation of doing such and such a thing. In that wording, he is telling you that my view is that this thing is recommended. It's not compulsory. Many of us don't realize that. That he's actually telling us a hukum shar'i here. 
is telling us that according to me it's recommended. Because when you study the topic in depth, you'll see the scholars, some scholars have said it's compulsory. But through this chapter, title, we've deduced the fiqh stance of Imam al nawawi In this particular book, it's just a compilation. So we have the first hadith, and this hadith is related to uh, really um, la ilaha illallah and the foundation upon which everything has been created upon. And please have uh, a listen to the presentation. In front of you, brothers and sisters, you have the translation to the Arabic that we just heard. Uh, on the authority of the leader of the Muslims, the second, the third, uh, the Prophet was the first leader, then Abu Bakr, he was the second leader, and then Umar ibn Khattab, he was the third leader of the Muslims, thus he carries this title, Amirul Mu'mineen. And uh, it states that on his authority, meaning him being the narrator of this particular narration, uh, he says that he heard the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam say. So he heard this directly from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, not from another companion who heard it from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He directly heard this from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And in the translation you have in front of you, which we will adjust as we develop our understanding of the text, it states actions are but by intentions and every man shall have only that which he intended. Thus, he whose migration was for Allah and his messenger, his migration then was for Allah and his messenger. And he whose migration was to achieve some worldly benefit or to take some woman in marriage, his migration was for that which he migrated. And this hadith is in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih Muslim. The hadith is in uh, Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih uh, Muslim, the two authentic books of hadith, which means there's no doubt about this hadith being authentic and authoritative, meaning authentically attributed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and authoritative meaning in terms of its wording. There's no doubt about its wording. It's been narrated in this way by Imam al-Bukhari rahimahullah and um, Imam al-Nawawi Rahimahullah. And um, this particular narration is famous. Uh, Alhamdulillah, with the explosion in terms of uh, the presence of Islamic knowledge that we have at our fingertips today, we see, Alhamdulillah, many uh, a khatib, many a teacher, an instructor, uh, many a seminarist uh, teach this particular hadith. And rightly so. And uh, this particular hadith uh, 
um, has been uh, cited by some of the scholars of Islam as the hadith that should exist at the beginning of um, the Islamic works. Why? Because earlier we said seeking knowledge is an act of worship, especially since some uh, elements of knowledge are compulsory upon every Muslim in terms of them knowing it. And uh, no worship can be accepted except with two things existing. Number one, sincerity, and number two, ittiba', which means following the sunnah of the Prophet وسلم, or following his way. So uh, the first pillar is sincerity. Worship cannot be accepted if it's not sincere, if it's not done for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <coughs> Excuse me. So the scholars rightly cite this, that we should have this hadith at the beginning of the books of knowledge. Why? Because it's a reminder for those who know and a lesson for those who don't, that you have to get your intentions in order because actions will be judged by their intentions. And Imam Ahmed, rahimahullah, he says that there's three ahadith that Islam revolves around. There's three narrations that the whole of Islam revolves around. The first narration is this narration, the narration that you just heard, the narration of uh, uh, Umar ibn Khattab, radiallahu anhu. The next narration is the narration of Aisha, radiallahu anha, in which she says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, مَنْ أَحْدَثَ فِي أَمْرِنَا هَذَا مَا لَيْسَ مِنْهُ فَهُوَ رَدَّ Right? That whoever uh, innovates in, in the religion, in terms of worship, invents new worship that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam didn't come with, that which uh, is not from the religion, then this worship will be rejected. Remember earlier we said there's two things that need to exist for any act of worship to be accepted. Number one, ikhlas, being sincere. And we learned that from the hadith we're going to study just now. Number two, what did we say? Ittiba', conformity to the way of the Prophet wasallam. So if you don't conform to the, his way, you've innovated in the religion and that will mandate your act being rejected. So if a person uh, prays three units of Salatul Maghrib, because the Prophet ﷺ prayed three units, but does it for the sake of their parents, to make their parents happy. Will the act be accepted or rejected? Rejected, because one of the two pillars hasn't been met. If a person does it for the sake of Allah, but says, I'm going to observe four units of Salatul Maghrib, because Salah is good, I want to worship Allah more. The Prophet prayed three, but you say, no, I'm going to pray four. But I'll have ikhlas. I'm sincere. Will your act be accepted or will it be rejected? It will be rejected. So these two pillars have to exist. So Imam Ahmad rahimahullah, he says Islam revolves around three narrations. Number one, innamal a'malu bin niyat. We're going to study this just now. Number two, the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, man ahdada fi amrina hadha ma laysa minhu fahuwa rad, that whoever innovates in, our, in, in this religion, that which is not from it, then the act will be rejected. The third narration is the hadith of Al-Nu'man ibn Bashir radiallahu uh, in which he says Inna al-halala bayyin wa inna al-harama bayyin Al-hadith it's, it's, it's a long narration and it's part of These ahadith are part of the Arba'in al-Nawawi by the way So inshallah we will uh, discuss them And uh, this particular uh, narration 
states that indeed the permissible matters of the religion are clear and the impermissible matters of the religion are clear. And in terms of completing the hadith, uh, the Prophet wasallam says, and then there's matters that are mushtabihat uh, or mushabbihat, matters that are unclear. So whoever stays away from the unclear matters, then they've protected themselves. Because you haven't put yourself in a situation where you have to answer for any particular matter. If you do something, you have to answer for it. If you stay away from it because it's doubtful, you don't have to answer for it. Inshallah, in future uh, sessions, we will come across this narration. So this is a grand statement from Imam Ahmad, uh, and he was a, a scholar of hadith. Um, you know, we talk about Imam al-Tabari being a godfather or uh, grandfather of uh, tafsir. Uh, Imam Ahmad, uh, rahimahullah, can be considered uh, the godfather or grandfather of hadith. He's an authority uh, in hadith. His knowledge of hadith is uh, phenomenal, and this is what this great imam says. So just take uh, from the outset, in terms of our discussion of this first hadith, that this hadith is mighty, and understand it in light of our first discussion in the first session, that all the narrations in Arba'in and Nawawi are universal narrations. To such an, and all these three narrations that Imam, imam Ahmad is citing for us exist in the Arba'in and Nawawi. To such an extent that the imam can say the entire religion revolves around these three matters. Ikhlas, conformity, and obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Doing the do's, staying away from the don'ts. Don't. Practicing the halal, staying away from the haram. You live your life like this, Islam revolves around these three uh, realities. Um, now, if anyone wants to do a good deed, which means practice halal, and anyone wants to stay away from a bad deed for the sake of Allah, or a bad deed because Allah has told him or her to do so, then this is ibadah. This is worship. And, as, and, and every worship requires an intention. And you will be judged and rewarded accordingly based on your intention. Thus we find this hadith at the opening of our study. Now we have other narrations that capture the message of this hadith. For example, and it's also in the authentic narrations. For example, it's reported that the Prophet said, So the first narration, the one we have in front of us, uh, actions are but by intentions, plural. Intentions here is in the plural sense. In another narration, actions are but by intention. In the singular sense. In another narration, the Prophet وسلم, said, Al-Amalu It's also in, in, in the Sahih, in Sahih al-Bukhari. Al-Amalu That the action is based on the intention. Okay? So there's different wording regarding this particular teaching of the Prophet وسلم, but the different wordings are irrelevant because the meanings are one. The meanings are one. That actions are but by their intentions. And inshallah, we will, uh, we will dive into uh, what this actually means. Now, for those who've studied the Arabic language, you see the presence of eloquence in the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Because uh, in all the vari variations, even if we say Al-Amalu bin or Innam Al-A'malu bin or Innam Al-A'malu bin um, uh, oh, in all these narrations, 
the presence of what the Arabic scholars call al-hasr exists. Al-hasr. What does al-hasr mean? Al-hasr means, al-hasr references the presentation of an acute understanding from the text. There's an acute understanding that those who know the Arabic language will extract from the text. I want you to pay attention. Don't write anything. So understand what, I, understand the idea, then you can write inshallah. And this affects our translation or will affect the translation. Because there's a difference when I say, when I say your action will be judged by your intention. And when I say, which literally means there is nothing about your action except that it will be judged based upon your intention. Everyone is staring at me like I'm speaking Chinese. Fine. Let's, uh, let's, 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 let's uh, become innovative. Halal innovation. Halal innovation. Let us get um, Brother Mahruz come stand uh, for us. Can you stand up for us, please? Come stand up for us on the stage so everyone can see. Fine. So we have Brother Mahruz over here. Jazallah khair. All the way from Sydney. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless him. Travel to seek knowledge. Inshallah with sincerity. If I said to you, Brother Mahruz is standing. And then I said to you, there's nothing about Brother Mahruz except that he's standing. What's the difference in my statement? Is there a difference or there's no difference? He is standing. That's statement number one. There's nothing about him except that he's standing. That's statement number two. What's the difference between the two? Yes, Ramzi, I see, I see your heart wants to say something. I can sense it. With the second statement, everything is irrelevant except for his standing. And the first statement? Other things could be relevant. He's spoken like a true teacher, mashallah. He's a teacher, alhamdulillah. Uh, have a seat, uh, my dear brother Mahruz. So this is true. If I say Mahruz is standing, in linguistically, this is known as an open-ended sentence in terms of meaning. I can add to it. Mahruz is standing, and mashallah, he has this, mashallah, he has some long hair on him, and uh, he's wearing black trousers, and he's wearing um, uh, a tag with an al-Kawthur sign. I can keep adding to the statement. I can keep adding to the statement. I can keep growing the discussion. But if I say to you, there's nothing about him except that he's standing. I have made everything else about him irrelevant except the fact that he is standing. Does that make sense? So there's a difference between our translation which states, actions are judged by intention, and our translation which states, there's nothing about your action except that it will be judged based on your intention. The narration is bringing an acute focus to the matter known as intention in your life and in my life. That it is extremely vital that two people can be doing the same action, but Allah will reward one and not the other based on the intention present when the same action that you see from the two people take place. That there's two people doing the same thing, but one might be rewarded and the other might not be rewarded. Why? Because Allah looks at the intention, not at the action. There's nothing about your action. Allah doesn't judge you based on the show 
He judges you based on the character, on the intention. It's not about the personality, it's about the character. We live in a highly charged era of personality, right? With the different woods that we have around us. We have Hollywood, Bollywood, Tiger Wood. Everything is the show, so it's the entertainment industry. It's all about the show. It's all about perception, the perception you create, right? Um, consumerism is, bi- is, 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 is uh, advertising is a big part of consumerism. Why? People trust your product when they see more of it around. The more you show it, the more people develop an attachment to it, right? If you see a brand that you don't see around, you think, I oh, know it could be a dodgy brand. But when you see it all over, you trust that this thing here, inshallah, is free from foul play. You give it importance and you are willing to put your hand in your pocket and pay for it, right? The showy part of the ethos of today's society is everywhere. Society is immersed in it and especially today with Facebook and social media, etc., etc. So it's all about, we all can relate to this, right? How we put ourselves out, right? How you put yourself out. Uh, just ask those who take selfies a lot of themselves. You know, how, how, you know, they've got to position the camera and position it and everything. And they take a long time. And then, you know, they take, they make sure the hair is good. Hair is good. Everything is sorted out. And then they take the selfie. And then they post it and they say, oh, just a random picture that I took of myself. <laughs> right? So, mashallah, you know, because it's the image. That now I'm creating this image. I, I randomly look so beautiful and perfect and everything is prim and proper. It's all about the show. Everybody is worried about the outside. It's not about the intention present. But what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no. He looks at the character. He looks at the intention. Allah won't reward you because you looked like you prayed salah. He'll reward you if the intention was right when you prayed that salah. Allah won't reward you because you looked like you fasted. He'll reward you if the intention was right. If you pray for the sake of your parents, you looked like you prayed, but you didn't really pray. What matters is the intention. So, there is nothing about your actions except that they will be judged based on the intention. And this hadith from the outset we can see is a hadith which develops our character. That you and I as human beings should be people that focus on our character traits, not our personality traits. We should become a people who should judge ourselves not based on how people see us, but judge ourselves based on who we really are. Who we are when no one can see us. That is the person we should become. This hadith from the outset is giving us this tarbiyah. As I said, it's a universal hadith, right? There's so many angles you can look at this instruction of the Prophet ﷺ from and develop as a result of it. Actions will not be judged except by the intention. Okay? So this is what the Prophet ﷺ says. This is known as hasr. This is bringing about an acute focus on a particular instruction in the message. This is hasa. Right? So you, uh, similar, similarly, in, similarly in the Quran, Allah says, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسِ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ Some people translate it as, mankind and jinnkind were created to worship Allah. But the correct translation or a better translation would be, mankind and jinnkind were not created except for the worship of Allah. That there's nothing else that should define you as a being except your worship. And what defines your worship is your intention. So these are the two grading criteria that you should judge yourself by. And you should, uh, you know, uh, when you 
face these KPIs upon yourself, these key performance indicators, are you going to judge yourself every so often? Uh, when you judge your progress and your journey towards Allah, judge yourself based on this worship and the sincerity of that worship. These are the two factors. So, uh, and remember, the Quran was being revealed in a language to a people who understood the language. They absorbed this reality as the Quran was revealed. And that's why there was, we don't find a complete tafsir from the Prophet about the Quran because he didn't have to explain every ayah. It was revealed by Lisanin Arabiyin Mubi. It was revealed in a clear Arab, in the clear Arabic language, in a language understood by those who received it. They understood the nuances of the wording and the text and the contextual structures of the sentences and so on and so forth. They understood this and absorbed these meanings. But Alhamdulillah, Allah has blessed us today with the ability by preserving all the sciences related to the Quran, from the Arabic language to the hadith, uh, science of tafsir, and so on and so forth. So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, al-a'malu bin-niyat. Now, the ulama have several statements regarding this portion of the hadith, al-a'malu bin-niyat. I just want to share with you uh, a couple. The first one, they say, al-a'malu bin-niyat means uh, that um, indeed, the reality of your actions being accepted by Allah is based on your intention. And this is basically what we've discussed thus far. Right? So I've, uh, what I've explained to you is what uh, is viewed as the strongest view of the ulama regarding the tafsir of this particular uh, portion of the hadith. That there's nothing about you except that intention. That your action being judged as correct or incorrect is based on that intention. But there's another view of the scholars that say that uh, the ba in this particular hadith binniyat the ba this is ba usababiya ba usababiya refers to the uh, the ba of of uh, uh, of explanation or reasoning that Allah is saying um, uh, that indeed your actions are because of your intention and this is not uh, the famous understanding of the text and it doesn't really make sense for the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam to be meaning this why. Because generally, generally everybody does something with a purpose anyway. If anyone is doing something without a purpose, if you're drinking water and I say, why? And you say, I don't know, I'm just drinking. They say, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, you're drinking because you're thirsty. Right? If I ask you, why are you here? There's a purpose, there's a reason why you're here. You won't just say, I was floating around and landed here and opened my eyes and I found myself in Al-Qawth of Knowledge Hive 2017. Right, if that's the case, I say congratulations to you. You didn't land in another place, right? Everyone does something with purpose. So it couldn't be that the Prophet ﷺ was telling the Sahaba something which they knew, that people do things because of a purpose that they have built in, meaning a desire that they have, that they want to achieve and so on and so forth, right? What seems more appropriate is that the Prophet ﷺ was telling them something else which they didn't know. That your actions will be judged in terms of correctness or incorrectness based on the reality of the intention you have when you do it. Right? And this is the explanation that I've based what I've shared with you thus far um, using. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Now, al-a'mal is the plural of amal. Actions is the plural of action. And by actions, we mean those actions that are done by a Muslim who is considered to be an adult and of sound mental ability. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only judges you when you've reached the age of puberty and you have a sound mind. If you've reached the age of puberty and you don't have a sound mind, the pens are lifted. You're not being judged. 
and if you have a sound mind but you haven't reached the age of puberty which is the mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you are not being judged the pens are also lifted the pens start writing when you reach the age of puberty and you have a sound mind right because for an intention to happen there has to be an understanding of purpose and that needs the mind and the heart to be in sync so uh, uh, when the Prophet Sallallahu says your actions, he's referring to actions that stem from a person who the Sharia considers responsible. Who does the Sharia consider responsible? A person who's reached the age of puberty and has sound mind. And in the hadith, the Prophet Sallallahu said the pens have been lifted off three. Um, and from them he listed uh, the one who is young until he reaches the age of puberty and number two the one who um, uh, loses his senses until he regains them right so this is this is the evidence for us to offer this explanation that a'mal here refers to the actions that stem from a person who's responsible a responsible person is the person who's reached the age of puberty and has sound mind um, <coughs> and a'mal as we said is the plural of amal Actions is the plural of action. Actions here entails everything related to you, from your speech, from your physical actions with your body, as well as from the actions of the heart. The heart offers actions as well, such as uh, fearing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, having hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, taqwa, iman, these are actions of the heart. Gratitude, when you show gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? We show gratitude with our tongue, we show gratitude with our, through our actions, bodily actions, and we also show gratitude with our heart. When our hearts develop the qualities of the heart in relation to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this is a show of shukr. So the shukr is a concept also attributed to our heart. So actions here entail all these uh, areas. What you do with your heart, what you do with uh, your bodies, and what you do with your tongue, right? Uh, but the scholars have also said that, you know, when we understand that the Prophet Sallallahu says that there's nothing about your actions except that they will be judged based on your intentions, then somebody might understand from this that every matter is looked at in this way or every matter needs an intention, right? And the scholars say that yes, the Prophet Sallallahu was encompassing in his speech, but in the Arabic language we have encompassing speech that is encompassing in, 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 in nature, but its reality is that it doesn't entail every single thing. And we have this in language, right? Uh, as well, in the English language as well. Um, so for example, this hadith doesn't mean that you need an intention for what the scholars consider at turuk What is at turuk at turuk refers to those matters that uh, you have to avoid, right? You don't have to have an intention, for example, from staying away from an impurity. So you stay away from the impurity, so you need to check your intention about that. That doesn't need that. Does that make sense? We're creating context here to our understanding of the hadith. This is knowledge I have, brothers and sisters. Needs you to have a mind firing, right? We want to teach you what the scholars have said about the hadith. So if someone has said, okay, so your actions are judged, by, there's nothing about your actions except that they'll be judged by intentions. So intentions are important. So what about me, for example, uh, staying away from an impurity or washing my clothes that has an impurity on it? Do I need an intention? We say no. This, the scholars have said, is not included. Things that you have to do anyway, right? 
because the Sharia has commanded you to be clean. Doesn't need an intention. Nobody will say, you have to wash your shirt again because you didn't have an intention when you washed it. You say, but my shirt is clean. Okay, but you didn't have an intention. Wash it again. Nobody will say that. Does that make sense? So when we say that, uh, you know, everything needs an in intention to be accepted, to be correct. Does this mean I need to have the intention when washing my clothes that I'm washing my clothes so I can pray salah in clean clothes? No, I didn't have that intention, so I have to repeat the salah? No. Does that make sense? That look how detailed the ulama are. That they discuss these exceptions. That yes, the hadith is encompassing, but not every instruction which is encompassing in the sharia entails every single thing. And we have this in the Quran as well. For example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about the, pun the wind that he sent to punish a people, تُدَمِّرُ كُلَّ شَيْنْ بِإِذْنِ رَبِّهَا That it destroyed everything with the permission of Allah. That it didn't destroy everything, every single thing in existence, even the earth, the planets. Does that make sense? So if the word everything was used, which encompasses everything, but here uh, it's known as al-am, الَّذِي أُرِيدَ بِهِ الْخُصُوصِ it's a general term where a specific understanding was intended by its usage. So Allah or the Sharia or the Quran or the Sunnah uses a general term, but a specific understanding was entailed. This is the same in this particular hadith. Okay, so what about if I want to be rewarded for washing my clothes? For example, to be clean. We say, aha, uh -huh, this falls into the next part of the hadith. That for every human being is that which he intended. Meaning now if you intended that for the sake of Allah, you'll be rewarded. But no one will say that your action is incorrect because you didn't intend it. Does that make sense? So there's two things here. Number one, the intention needed for the act to be correct. And number two, the intention needed for the reward to be received. Does that make sense? Brothers and sisters, we're going to come to it inshallah. Because I could see you gazing, so I brought the lesson forward. That's, that's, the, that's the teacher's job, to try and figure out, sense what you're thinking in your mind. Now I know that you guys were thinking, what about if I want rewards, what about the rewards? The reward, if you have the intention, you'll get the rewards. And some people are thinking, this is freaky stuff here. Yeah? How does the sheikh know this? He's tapping into our brains. Uh, inshallah, this is from Allah, that you are sincere learner. So Allah inspires the teacher to touch on a point that uh, is in your heart. This happens. I've experienced this with my teachers as well. Hafidahumullah, uh, it's amazing how Allah inspires the learning process when we teach about Islam. That when I was in a math class, I had questions in my mind, nobody answered them. <laughs> but if I'm in an Islamic class, I have things in my mind, but what about this? And the teacher brings it up. By the way, and this is, this is, this is ilham from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Alright, so we said anwa at turuk is not from here. What do we mean by this? For example, uh, washing your clothes, or cl cleaning your carpet off an impurity, for example, right? If you had a, a mess on your carpet, you cleaned your carpet, you didn't intend Allah, now you want to pray salah on that carpet, is it allowed or not? Yes or no? But what about the hadith, You didn't have the intention. What about this, brothers and sisters? What do you say? What do you say? This hadith is general. It means everything needs, needs that intention. So you didn't have an intention, you need to wash the carpet again with intention now. Even though there's no impurity, but you, you need to do it again with intention. What do you think? Correct or incorrect? Why is it incorrect? Because what does that got to do with anything? What does that mean? You have to have intentions about everything. The hadith is encompassing.
I say the hadith, the hadith says there's nothing about your actions except they'll be judged by the intention. Your intention wasn't there. How are we going to judge this? Correct or incorrect? The hadith is very encompassing. Ah, the, the hadith is general, but it, it doesn't mean it entails. There's certain exceptions, right? So the hadith is general in its instruction, but it, it re is referencing a specific concept, meaning there's certain exceptions to the rule, such as anwa at turuq that which you have to leave. For example, you leave haram. For your leaving haram to be correct, do you need an intention? For it to be correct, to be accepted by Allah. You stayed away from alcohol, but you stayed away from it. In your heart, did you think, okay, I'm making the intention to stay away from alcohol? And you just stayed away from it. You were on the plane, they were passing, you asked for a cup of water. You didn't ask for the alcohol, you stayed away from it. In your mind, you know it's haram forbidden, but your intention wasn't there, like you have an intention when you pray and so on and so forth. Right? Do we say that your action is not accepted because you didn't intend? We say no. This is the things you have to leave, you don't need an intention for them. Right? But obviously in terms of reward, based on the presence of mind that you had, the presence of heart, dependent on how attached it was to Allah and your reasoning for it, then no doubt the rewards differ. Because there's a difference between someone who does something as a norm and someone who does something for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So leaving things for this, uh, does not need uh, an intention. This is an exception to the rule. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Okay. Now, the scholars say that when we look at this hadith, we see that this hadith cannot be detached from the discussion about intention. Because every action, there's nothing about your action that will be judged by intention. So they go on to teach us that intentions, their place is in the heart, not on the tongue. Which means that if you intend something on your heart, but you make a mistake with your tongue, your action is still correct. Because, or, or, correct or incorrect. Why? The baseline understanding will be what is in your heart. If you intend to pray salah for the sake of Allah, but you stuttered on your tongue and you said something wrong, the salah is still correct. Why? The place of the intention is the heart. Number one. Number two, there is no need for you to mention anything using your tongue. This is not a condition. That today some people say, I am praying for raka'at, salat al-duhr, the compulsory unit, facing the qibla, for the sake of Allah. Allahu Akbar. Behind the imam, on this day, on this date, at this time, in this masjid. This is, this, is, this is not from the sunnah of the Prophet It's enough for you to know in your heart what you're doing and why you're doing it. What and why. I know what and I know why. I'm doing four units of dhuhr. Why? Because uh, this is the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for his sake. As long as this is present in your heart where you know this is not a random activity, this suffices. And the scholars go on to say that al-niyyatu fi shari'ati bi'ammah yurad biha ahad ma'nayin. That when we talk about the niyyah in the sharia, it has two meanings. The first meaning is the intention in association with the act of worship. And the second one is the niyyah in association with the one who is being worshipped. I'll explain these two things. The niyyah in association to the act of worship. Is this act of worship compulsory? Is it sunnah? What differentiates between two units of Salatul Fajr which is sunnah and two units of Salatul Fajr which is compulsory wajib. What is the differentiator? What? Come on guys. This is not a trick question. Your intention. It's the same action. You could read the same surahs that you read in, in the two sunnah of Salatul Fajr for the, uh, in your two farad of Salatul Fajr and 
it will be exactly the same, the two, the, 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 the two versions of the salah. But what will differentiate it in terms of you having completed an obligation upon it? That now if you pass away, you don't have to answer for the two, the, the, the two salah of fajr that you had to pray. What is it differentiating? The intention. So we see here that the intention has different roles. One of the roles of the intention is to differentiate between the acts of worship. That this act is wajib. This act is sunnah. This act is a wajib in at a particular time. For example, you might have a compulsory fast to do. Like you made a promise to Allah that, Ya Allah, if this happens in my life, I'll fast. So it happened, now you have to fast. But is this the same as the fast of Ramadan, which is also compulsory? So the intention is the differentiator between the, the, the types of compulsory acts that you do and then the types of acts between compulsory and sunnah and so on and so forth. Does that make things clear? So this is what the scholars mean when they say niyyatun muttajiha lil'ibadah. That the, the niyyah in association with the act of worship. For example, four units of duhr, four units of asr. Exactly the same salah. What differentiates it? That this is duhr and this is asr. It's the niyyah. Right? For example, when you travel, right? So uh, the brothers and sisters who are shortening the salah and combining. You pray two uh, units of prayer and then another two units of prayer stayed after. It's exactly the same. What differentiates it? That this is duhr and this is asr. It's the niyyah. See how powerful this matter related to the intention is? And why Imam Ahmed says that the religion revolves around three narrations, this being one of them? It's a massive matter. The second issue is the intention in association with the one who is worshipped. Which means ikhlas, really. What we call ikhlas today. What we know as ikhlas. Not only today, it's been always called ikhlas. That I'm doing it for the sake of Allah. I'm not doing it for the sake of my parents. I'm not doing it for the sake of name. I'm not doing it for the sake of fame. I'm not doing it so people can call me intelligent or call me a good reciter of the Quran or call me this and call me that. Does that make sense? So this is in relation to the, to, to the one who is worshipped. So the intention differentiates between the types of worship and it also differentiates between it being an act of worship or it not being an act of worship. Meaning it being something done for Allah and being done for other than Allah. The third matter which we can add to this is that the intention has a part to play in converting a mundane activity of life into an act of worship. And we learn this from The second uh, part of this particular hadith in which the Prophet said, and every man shall have only that which he intended, meaning shall be rewarded based on his intention. So for example, a person goes to the gym. He or she runs on the treadmill. Okay, and you burn your 150 calories or whatever, huh? which is about three Oreo biscuits worth, just so you know, because when you go to the restaurant, you're counting calories, right? So you, 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 your 150 calories you've burnt on the treadmill. What's the difference between you just burning 150 calories and you burning 150 calories and building Jannah at the same time? What's the difference? The intention. That you could burn the 150 calories on the treadmill, but at the same time plant 150 trees in Jannah. If you ran on the treadmill not to lose weight, but for the pleasure of Allah, with the net result of you being there, losing weight. That's going to happen by default. 
By design, if you run on the treadmill, you burn calories. It's by design. The treadmill is not going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You didn't intend burning calories. So you've lost. You, are, you have the same calories as you had 30 minutes ago. No, you, it's not good. by design you will lose your 150 calories. But if you ran on it for the sake of Allah, your time on the treadmill became a Jannah building exercise. Take it to other matters. You go to work. What's the difference between the person who goes to work for the sake of the salary and to have employment and cover the bills and the person who goes to, to, to work for the sake of the salary to cover the bills but at the same time he or she builds Jannah when they're at work. All that time stuck in traffic, you're building Jannah. All that time at work, you're building Jannah. When you come home, you've built Jannah. You don't come home and rest from a tough day at work. You come and rest from a tough day building Jannah. What differentiates it? The intention. If you go to work for the salary, well, even the non-Muslims go to work for the salary, what's the difference between you and them? If you go to university, what's the difference between the person who gets a degree for the sake of the degree and job security and the person who goes to university and gets the degree and job security and builds Jannah at the same time? What's the difference? The differentiator is the intention. If you go to university with the objective being the, the qualification, the degree, what you, the certificate that you get, you haven't differentiated yourself between you and the rest of society. They do it for the same reason. But you're a Muslim. Allah has given you the ability to build your Jannah with every breath you speak, uh, every breath you breathe, and every blink that your eye experiences. But you've got to activate the switch that, that you have when you said, La ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah. How do you activate that switch? You activate that switch by making Allah the purpose behind that which you do. And that way you convert a mundane activity of life, which everyone does, into an act of worship. You convert an adah, which is a norm into an ibadah, which is an act of worship, through the intention. So look at this hadith, what he's telling us, right? When, when the Prophet wasallam says, there's nothing about your actions except that they will be judged based on your intention. And every person will be rewarded based on the reality of the intention. This is across the board in terms of the, the intention being used to differentiate between the type of worship being offered, whether it's Zohar, whether it's Asr, whether it's... Uh, 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 Sunnah, whether it's Farad, that's number one. Number two, in terms of whether it's for the sake of Allah or not. And number three, in terms of converting a mundane activity of life into an ibadah. A Muslim should be he or she that builds Jannah all the time. If you, you know, we mentioned the ayah earlier when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسِ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That there's nothing behind you as a creation except that you were created to worship Allah. What does Allah say straight after that? Does Allah say, فَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةَ وَآتُ الزَّكَاةَ وَأَقْرِضُ اللَّهَ قَرْضًا حَسَنًا Does Allah say, you are not created except to worship Allah, so observe the salah and pay the zakah and donate uh, your money. Uh, what does Allah say after that? What does He say? مَا أُرِيدُ مِنْكُمْ مِنْ رِزْقٍ not asking from you sustenance. We're not asking you to be feeded. Indeed, Allah is the sustenance. Why does Allah bring our attention to a matter of the dunya? A normal mundane act of life, getting a job, getting a degree, going to university, 
and so you can put food on the table, as most of us say, you gotta put food on the table. Why does Allah, after saying you are not created except to worship Allah, tell us that you are not sent here to feed people, Allah feeds. It is as if Allah is telling us you are not created to worship Allah, so find Allah in everything that you do, the job that you take, the degree that you study, the walks that you take, the holidays that you take, in everything, make Allah the purpose. And everything else will be a net result of what you do and you will enjoy it anyway. You go to university, you study, the net result of that is a degree. And job security. If the economy is right, of course. That's the net result. But don't lose Jannah. If building Jannah only happened when you prayed Salah and fasted Ramadan and went for Hajj, if you lived for 70 years, how much Jannah would you see built for you? Because let's face it, brothers and sisters, how much time in our day do we spend praying? Most of the day? No. If you add up the raka'at of salah that you need to observe, perhaps 20 to 30 minutes of your day you spend in salah. If you could only build jannah in salah, what, you only spend 30 minutes of that day building jannah? Imagine when you go to your jannah, how much empty landscape you're going to see. No. You've got to build jannah with every breath you take. How? By making Allah the purpose behind that which you do. And that's what you've got to do. If you go to work, go to work for the sake of Allah. That Allah loves the stronger believer more than the weaker one. The one who is able, the hand that gives is better than the one that receives. And through this I can feed my family, which is a sadaqah. The Prophet taught me this and he was taught by Allah. I can feed the poor, I can go for hajj. This is my purpose. I'll just put food on my table because that's what I have to do. Now you found Allah. If you go to the gym to, to, to be healthy, I'm at the gym for the sake of Allah because the stronger believer is more beloved to Allah and this body is an amana. And the healthier I am, the more I can worship Allah, the stronger I can be, the more effective I can be in His worship. The more, uh, uh, meaning I can offer more benefit to the ummah. Now you have substantial intentions. You found Allah in that which you do. So you'll be rewarded for every second you spend doing that. And so on and so forth. I'll leave you to digest over this. And... We will take a short break and inshallah when we return we will continue. Wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.